You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Haddock Sport Performance. Is your training making you better on the field? If not, you gotta check out Haddock Sport Performance, a premier strength and conditioning company designed for and by ultimate athletes. HSP provides each athlete with a truly personal and unique training experience. They work tirelessly to get to know who you are and what you need, and together with you, they help build a plan to be your best in competition. Check out HaddockSportPerformance.ca or HSP on Instagram to learn more. Now with all that done, let's go! This week's guest is Sadie Jazerski. Sadie was a 2019 Callahan Award finalist, first team All-American, and 2019 Ulti-World D1 College Player of the Year second runner-up who has played for the Ohio State University Fever. With Fever, Sadie has made the USA Ultimate College National Championships every year of her college career, including a third-place finish in 2019. On the international stage, Sadie has represented the USA twice, winning gold in 2014 with the U-20 girls team and winning gold in 2019 with the U-24 women's team. She was selected to be a member of the USA National Women's Team for the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championship that have been cancelled. At the club level, Sadie has played for Columbus Cocktails, a club mixed team, who made the 2018 USA Ultimate National Championships, and for Nashville Shine, a select flight club mixed team. Sadie is a co-owner and co-founder of the Columbus Pride of the Premier Ultimate League. Here is my interview with Sadie Jazerski. Alright, so I'm here with Sadie Jazerski. A big-time player for, as we talked about off-air, the Ohio State University fever. So if you watched any college women's ultimate, you've probably heard of Sadie's name. So, Sadie, how are you doing today? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on so much. Just working remotely, luckily, in these crazy times and living life. First of all, how did you get into ultimate? You're known in the college ultimate scene in your time there as a huge thrower. So... You obviously had to develop that over time somehow, but how did you first get into Ultimate and find out about the sport and then eventually make your way into the college scene? Yeah, so I've been playing since I was in seventh grade, so I've always been really into sports in general. So I played soccer, basketball, I played a little bit of rugby, I played tennis. So it was kind of a normal thing for me to just be active constantly. And at the time, all of my friends joined this weird little club down in Westfield, New Jersey at my middle school. And we kind of grew up together. We're all still really good friends. And I just kind of fell in love with the sport, kind of quit everything else that I wanted to do, circled my life pretty much around Frisbee. I ran track and field in high school to make sure I was in shape for Frisbee. So a lot of it was just community and just loving being active with my friends. And then as high school kind of kept going on, kept playing. And then when college rolled around, I knew Frisbee wanted to be a huge part of my life. So I was kind of choosing schools based off being an engineer or wanting to be an engineer at the time. So looking for schools with good engineering programs. And then also finding a school that had a really great program and a program that I felt really welcomed at. And that's kind of really how I landed at Ohio State. At the Ohio State, right? We got to make sure we... Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> as, a, as a college sports fan, uh, some of you may hear the Ohio State and think that they're being, uh, you know, arrogant or whatever. But as we talked about off air, that's actually in the name. So that's actually in the name of their school. So Sadie, you said you gave up all other sports. Have you ever regretted that? Or, or you're really happy with that decision that you gave up all those other sports? Sounds like you ran track. But in terms of team sports, you kind of gave that all up. Yeah, I mean, I was never really amazing at anything like 
I was somehow like, I feel like just above average athletic wise at like basketball and tennis, but I never was like, man, I need to play this 24 seven so I can be the best I can like, however I can be. And then I really don't know what it was, but Frisbee just really made me want to try to be the best I could be, try to beat my friends a lot more. And it made me feel very, I guess, powerful, but also made me, gave me a sense of like feeling where I'm supposed to be. So no, I don't really regret leaving any of those other sports, but definitely when I go to play, like pick up basketball or something with my friends, I get a, get a good amount of made fun of just because I'm not that great. <laughs> yeah, but they, they uh, can see you slayed on the ultimate field there, so that's fine. And uh, in terms of your recruitment, because I'm just thinking now, like, you know, college sports with the recruitment, it sounds like you deliberately picked a school based on ultimate. Is that correct? Like you were focusing on ultimate or, or that was a big part of your decision? Maybe not the only piece, but a part of it. I would say it was a, definitely a huge piece. I wanted to whenever I went and visited schools, I think I visited around six schools, applied to like 10. I always made sure to reach out to the Frisbee team at that point and at least try to meet people. A couple of the teams let me practice with them, which was really cool. And then I just kind of went from there. I will say, like, I think more than I'm willing to even admit now, it's still a big part of my decision. But a lot of it also was, again, engineering, trying to find the right school. And then another part was just being in kind of a city aspect. I really liked I grew up like 45 minutes outside of New York City, so I kind of had a, a city vibe all my life. So a lot of it really was just Frisbee, but also a couple social things on the side. You picked the Ohio State University Fever to play with and, and to go to school. So are you able to share a little bit about what other teams and, and universities you were thinking about as you were making this decision? Because obviously you're going to spend the next five years at this place, so it's a pretty big decision to make. Yeah, so it kind of came down to, I will say, Colorado, Ohio State, and I looked at Pittsburgh a little bit, and that was kind of after I visited a couple schools. Those were kind of the ones I was down to, and my parents had to deal with me trying to figure out which ones I wanted to do. In the end, I think did come down to, I guess, proximity. I always wanted to not stay in New Jersey or kind of in the Northeast, really, with college, so I knew I wanted to go far. And then Colorado, I really loved, and I had people there that I knew and who I also did come to practice or go to practice with them. So that was really cool. But Ohio State, it was kind of far enough away where I didn't feel like I'd be home a ton, but also <laughs> close enough I could technically fly and not spend like 400 bucks a flight. So it, it really did fall into place with that. And with Ohio State, I also did go to practice with them, and I kind of spent a little bit of time, and it just felt about the same as Colorado, but again, the proximity was just different. For sure. And so can you walk through now your first year on campus? You're uh, coming in as a freshman there with some youth experience, but what was it like playing with you know the seniors and the upper-class people on your uh, team there? What was it like your first couple of years at Ohio State, and uh, when did you realize that you could really uh, do some damage at the college level there and get some cool accolades as well along the way yeah so <laughs> my first practice at Ohio State I actually tore my ACL so my first year was a little skewed um, I would say after I tore my ACL I was kind of lost in a way didn't really know how to fit in because I couldn't really play with these people this was like going to be my way to kind of make a lot of my friends and my community in college and I felt very disconnected so it was really tough for me at first and then luckily at that point, since I had been playing for so long, of the coaching staff kind of let me at least not coach, but give pointers to people, like especially the rookies that really didn't know what was happening with Frisbee and kind of included me in that regard. So that was really great. And then luckily I was able to make it to my first nationals actually and be able to play, not at 100% by any means, but I was able to kind of be a part of that 2015 team in a like a physical sense and playing so that was really cool I feel like while tearing my ACL was pretty detrimental to my first year and how I felt about the school and how I felt about the team just because of I didn't really know how to fit in it did lead me to be able to be 
a better thrower. And I feel like I do attribute a lot of my throwing prowess to tearing my ACL and kind of being forced to only be able to throw, not really be able to run or jump or be athletic in that sense. You played on the U20 team in 2014 there. So did you come in as a as a primarily a cutter or were you still a, a main like a handler for that team and that was kind of your skill set going into college and then it developed or were you always kind of a handler there? So I was definitely more of a cutter at first. So I definitely had more of the field sense to figure out where open spots were, how to body people out, things of that nature. And then, like I said, I tore my ACL and I had to kind of figure out how to react to my body's reacting to the ACL essentially. <laughs> and I think that first year they kind of had me as more of a thrower, kind of a handler type, mainly because of my ACL. And they knew I'd been working on throwing. I'd been speaking with coaches, kind of figuring out where best I would fit at that moment. And that's really what allowed me to create that identity for myself as a thrower. And you continued that identity throughout your college career there. So can you talk about what it was like to maybe have your first uh, throw or highlight featured on like Ulti World or something like that, where people start to recognize that you could throw. What was that like for uh, maybe some national attention there in the uh, ultimate scene? It was definitely like awesome. I, I definitely didn't expect it. I feel like the first time I really felt any sort of like spotlight on me was like Ulti World put together this like random little highlight reel player profile thing from I think Centex, like my second or third year. And I was kind of like, at first I was just like, whoa, that's that's weird. I didn't know that was coming out. And then at, after it, I was like, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that they were filming and I didn't know that they were going to do this. And it was really shocking. And I was cool mainly for, I feel like my family and friends that were outside of my little Columbus community because they got to see what I was up to and got to see kind of what I've been devoting my life to trying to figure out how to be one of the best players I can be at at the college level at first. Yeah, for sure. And uh, in your college career, you've had a lot of success, not just at a personal level, but at, on a team level as well. So can you speak to what Ohio State Fever does really well? I know you have some excellent coaches like Deanna Ball. What does your team do so well that allows you to be so successful over that, you know, for you, five-year period where you're making nationals every year? Not every college player can say that. I think Fever does a really good job of playing with a system, but without a system at the same time, if that makes sense. The coaching staff really does a good job of placing players where they may fit best, just given their skill set, not maybe because they need to be there. And what I mean by that, I guess, is players that have like this natural athletic ability they're going to put them in a successful spot so that they can be successful while the team's being successful and not necessarily trying to force something that doesn't have to be there. And I think that really helps players grow, especially rookies at first, because they're able to gain confidence in themselves being like, wow, I'm being successful. Look at this team. And then the team's obviously just feeding off that energy, which is really great. And so with your development of the rookies and things like that, is that something that's very purposeful in the fall? Because uh, for those listening that follow college ultimate maybe you don't but the fall is usually more of like not just a tryout time but a lot of ramping up for the spring season where it's the re college regular season so is that a big focus for your team then in the fall is to really get those reps for the rookies yeah definitely I mean our fall is it's kind of chaotic actually since we go to such a big school we're lucky to get a lot of rookies come out at first so I think my last year we ended up getting like 20 plus rookies which was just unheard of for us because when I first started in college our B team had just kind of started so they were taking eight to ten people to tournaments so they were not able to really feel the full team kind of be exhausted by the end of a tournament and now they were taking like 20 plus people to these tournaments and having like full coaching staff as well full practices and something that really just helps them in general so our full while it, we do split up a, B, a team and B team, at first, before we even split, we have we have one tournament where we take 40-plus people, and it's just one crazy sideline, which is really fun. And then we have our other, like, we call it fall brawl, where it's a local tournament where a lot of Ohio teams come. Pittsburgh usually comes, and we have split squads, so completely even teams gets to see everyone. A lot of people get to play. 
And it really is geared to not only helping rookies develop as players, but also helps them kind of get a sense of like, hey, this is what you might be playing. This is like your community that you could be in. We're really fun. We're really loud. And we just try to make them feel as welcomed as possible. And within those fall tournaments, are players after that, you know, big 40-player tournament or the fall brawl, as you mentioned, is there a big drop-off as well? Or, or do those players end up committing most of the time? Or what does that look like? I would say most of the time. So that, that big tournament is in Virginia, and it's usually, I believe, the end of September. So school starts for us beginning of – or end of August, beginning of September. So if we can get people to come out to four weeks' worth of practices – and they actually commit to driving seven plus hours to Virginia with these people that they just met. Usually those people are will stick around because they realize what those practices and what those workouts are building towards. I would say the biggest drop off we normally have is in those first two weeks where people are just kind of trying it out, seeing where they may want to fit in just in college in general. And that's when we have the most turnaround of just seeing new faces, seeing people we might not know. A lot of freshmen also don't get the best schedules, so they have class till our practice time, so they can't make it. So a lot of it is just turn around in the beginning, and if they can make it to that tournament and come to that tournament, they'll come for sure and usually finish out the season at least. For all those uh, new rookies there, what sport backgrounds do they usually come from? Are, and also, are, are you heavily recruiting in terms of uh, top YCC players, for example, are you reaching out to them to, to get them to come to your school? Or how are you recruiting all these new faces and players onto your uh, team there? Most of the people that we get who have no ultimate experience come from, I would say, soccer. Or actually, we get a, quite a few people from rowing, which is pretty cool because it's not usually a sport that would translate well. But the work ethic that rowers have is amazing mm -hmm. and usually translates well to this to our sport just because they realize if they work really hard, they can get really good at this and then be really successful, play a lot and just go down the chain on that. So that's been really great. And then in terms of YCC talent. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we recruit, we're not, we don't usually send out a mass email to people, but people reach out to us. Usually like that's how I got in touch with Ohio state was mm just finding out their email, their like captain's email being like, Hey, I'm coming to tour this week. And then normally with those, we send a couple people, whether it be captains or upperclassmen to go have lunch with this person, show them around campus, kind of make them feel welcome. Another, I wouldn't say it's really a recruiting opportunity for us, but something that I feel like we've at least tried to help, like put something in their mind was, we play triangle tourists a lot who are usually from North Carolina. They're this like stellar all-star youth team who comes to these like fall tournaments and like owns us completely. And we usually just like plug in their mind, like, Hey, if you want to come to Ohio state for sure, DM us, we'll be happy to um, show you around, do what have you. Um, and I don't know if it's really helped a ton, but it's something. <laughs> the efforts there though, the efforts there, that's the key. So, as we talked about with your throwing and, and your ability to do that, can you walk the audience through maybe some of the throwing regimens you've done or, or what have you done purposefully to get better? Because you're most likely listening if you play ultimate, so you know that throwing doesn't come naturally, especially a flick for most people. So, what did you do purposefully to get to where you are now? Because, like I said, it's not just some magic, uh, one day it's going to happen. So, you obviously have to put in years of time to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think... For sure, I really love – I like throwing in general. So whether I'm, like, tossing in the park with a friend or doing what have you, I just like casually throwing, and I think that's helped just even keep kind of that muscle memory going. Other than that, I feel like a lot of the throwing regimen that I might do just happens to actually be with either film and kind of looking where spots in the field might be open and then later on trying to figure out, oh, okay, what's the best way to get – the disc over there is it a blade is it some crazy backhand like what have you other than that I feel like a lot of my mentality when I'm playing when I might see an open space is really just centered around hey I see there's an open player if I can quickly figure out a way to get it over there that'll open up this whole spot for our team 
And I think over time with that same mentality, I've kind of figured out, okay, I have this blade that I know will for sure go across the field. Let me just keep throwing that. That's a consistent thing. And then when I'm casually throwing, I'll make sure that keeps honing in and things of that nature. Yeah, you brought something really interesting up with film, because oftentimes with film, we think about, I think it's easier for people to think about the cutting. Like you look at how cutters are getting open and things like that. You don't necessarily think of life as a thrower and finding spots. So that's something you've purposely done is to like stop film, probably your own film, right? To take a look like, okay, if I could do this again, I would pick this throw in this situation. Is that kind of what you do? Yeah. And one of my coaches growing up, actually, when I was in youth, taught me essentially, don't look where the disc is, look where the open spots are. So a lot of the time when I'd be looking at film with him, a lot of it would just be like stopping the disc. The disc is out of frame completely. And you can see like if I was standing in one corner of the screen, there's someone completely like just a little bit upfield for me, but on the other side that if I had just taken the time to like think about a little more or fake a little better, I could hit that person and open the field wide open versus just jamming it up like an upline or something of that nature. Yeah, that's some uh, sweet advice. Uh, Never heard before on the podcast. So we uh, do appreciate that. And talk us through 2019. You obviously had some success being a Callahan Award finalist, second runner up for player of the year from Multiworld there. And also your team finished third or tied for third with North Carolina Pleadies. So what was that whole year like for you? That was your last uh, college year, right? So what was that like? Bittersweet, I guess, because you did really well, but also your college career is ending. So can't stay in college forever. Yeah, I know. I wish I could. It was definitely bittersweet, I think. So the year previous to that, my fourth year, we essentially got knocked out of the bracket because of point differential. Oh, hate to see it. I know. Everyone on the team knew we were able to at least make a run for farther in the bracket than we did. We lost in, I believe it's pre-quarters. Not saying we would have won the whole thing, but we knew we were capable of better than we did. And I think a lot of the people that came back that year, we had lost like six people. The people who came back definitely felt this sense of drive and be like, okay, that didn't work. Like we need to fix something. We need to put our foot down and actually like figure out what works for this team, what works for individuals. Let's try to brainstorm a lot. And essentially, I feel like because of that drive, because of that mentality, a lot of our seniors and upperclassmen were able to show that to the rookies and then those rookies were bought in and they were like oh my goodness we could go to nationals we could win a national championship that's really cool and then it just fed off that whole year and then we got to Florida Winter Classic took Dartmouth to double game point and that was awesome for us because we were like okay we worked all fall we worked all winter and this is where we can be we can be up against one of the best teams in the nation and lose by one point which did sting at first, but when we thought about it in the broader picture, we were like, okay, that was awesome. And then we kind of kept going with the season and got to Northwest Challenge, and we really just were able to kind of – everyone was just clicking. Like, we were having really great huck looks. We were having really great resets. Our cutters were working really well together, and then we were able to luckily win that, and that really set the tone for the postseason, I feel like. And then from there, we were able to make that run at nationals. And I mean, I don't think anyone could say they were upset about third place, but definitely, like you said, it was bittersweet for the seniors because we really wanted to make an even higher run. And then all those underclassmen knew what they had to do essentially to make that higher run now. So I think it definitely did plant another seed also for those younger folk. Yeah, it's like the locker room material that you hear about, right? That you can put on the wall there. Not that Ultimate has locker rooms right now, but... Uh, you're on ESPN, right? Uh, semifinals, so that's pretty cool. So that's uh, something to celebrate as well. And something you noted, which is really interesting, is that maybe because of, I'm not sure if you have major funding because you're a bigger school, but your team is just traveling all over the country. Like you're going to, you're going out west, like all the way to the Pacific Northwest for Northwest Challenge. You're going all the way to Florida. Not that Florida is like that far from Ohio comparatively to the Northwest, but you're traveling. Uh, did you go to Centex as well in Texas? No, I believe it was the weekend before Northwest Challenge or the weekend of Northwest Challenge. I don't really remember. Yeah, how is the team able to afford all those uh, travel opportunities? Are, are, is there a lot of fundraising that goes on for your team to be able to do that? We don't get a lot from the university, unfortunately. Okay. We 
and because our program is so large with the A and B team, we split up the funding like evenly amongst everyone. So when you split it all amongst like 50 people, I think we get like $3,000. It's not really much. I mean, any money is good money in college, but when you think about it in the whole grand scheme of things, it's definitely not as much as you'd like. So we do have, Columbus has a great community, local community in general, who really want to see Fever succeed. And then on top of that, the alumni, obviously, who know what it takes to be a, like a powerful program, also want to see us succeed. So we do get a good amount of funding from those. And then we have fundraising chairs who put on like hat tournaments or bake sales that do bring in good amounts of money from that as well. Yeah, that's uh, cool stuff there and appreciate you sharing a little bit of background with the college scene. So looking back at 2019, great college year as well, but then there was a, a bit of a road bump, let's say, with the national team. So I was listening to Deep Look, Alti World's podcast about this, and, and they had mentioned that you didn't get a tryout. And then, of course, you did get a tryout, but then you didn't make the team. And then eventually you do make the team. So as you're listening to this, you could imagine the roller coaster of emotions for Sadie there. Just uh, thinking about, okay, I'm, I'm not on the team, but then I get a tryout, so probably means I make it, and then you don't make it, and then you get a spot after Northwest Challenge. So walk us through that whole roller coaster of emotions. That must have been a unique and crazy time for you there. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Definitely high emotions at first, especially because it was the fall season, so high stress levels already because you want to make a inclusive environment for these rookies and there's just a lot of logistics going on trying to deal with 50 plus people and everything so definitely just poor timing in that regard but it wasn't great at first but luckily I was able to make that team so it was it was a good good ending I would say (laughs) and were people messaging you when they first uh had announced you didn't get a tryout like were people messaging you saying like how could this be like were you getting a lot of support on that end not really I mean I saw some things like publicly but I mostly was reaching out to people just to kind of help myself and help my mental health of just kind of making sure I didn't get too down in the dumps about it. Um, I was reaching out to people that I'd known for my whole ultimate career so they were very reassuring and it was very again, helpful for my mental health and helpful just to know that even though this might have happened, it doesn't change who I am really as a player. Yeah, and and you're able to have success with the team, obviously winning a gold medal. And then unfortunately, uh, of course, COVID happens and you're not able to represent the U.S. on the women's team. So this is not just the U24 team now, you're making the national team. So that also is probably a roller coaster of emotions for you there. So it was, it was a little weird with timing. I went to tryouts and then I think like that was middle of February. And then two weeks later we got the list of who made it. And I was like ecstatic. I was like, Oh my goodness, I can't even believe that this happened. And then I think like maybe the week that happened, like COVID became very relevant and the whole world was like, okay, let's shut down. And I guess in my head with that, I was like, I feel like any other person who was like, oh, this will go away in like three to four months. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Like we might not have training camps, but my, the games will still happen. And then they postponed it. And we were, I feel like the team and myself was just like, okay, that's something like not all is lost. Like let's keep going. And then with the cancellation, it was just like, definitely expected given how COVID happened and how it's like manifested itself. Definitely still a little bit disappointed because I would love to play with those people and love to see what it's like to play at the highest level with those women. But definitely no part of me is like mad at the situation because I think it was the right situation given the world's pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's uh, totally fair there. A good, a reasonable response, it sounds like. So last part here, uh, I'll give a last few questions for this uh, segment of your journey. So at the club level, you've played for a couple teams, but you haven't played for, uh, let's say, a top women's team or top, like, you know, top, top, top uh, team right now in the club scene. So do you have some goals with uh, what you want to do in the club scene 
now that you've done so much in the college scene there? I feel like I haven't really dipped my toes completely in the club scene because when the fall comes around, we're just dealing with all of the college stuff usually and trying to deal with that and then try to make it to club practices. I feel like I never was fully invested. So I feel like the year that COVID happened, I was really excited to try to like get myself into a good mixed team and really buy into that and have that team atmosphere that I feel like I was not necessarily missing out on because all my teams have had that, but just buying into it personally on a personal level. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what's in store for me for this potential upcoming club season or what have you, but I hope to find myself on a, on a mixed team and we'll see what happens really. <laughs> yeah. Good. A uh, diplomatic answer there, right? Not a, uh, not announcing a commitment to a team or anything like that. So that's good. And as you played, obviously college, it's only uh women's and open there. So what led to your decision to want to pursue club at the mixed level? Because you played for Columbus Clocktails as well as shine out of Nashville, which are both mixed teams. So why mixed over women's? I just really like the game. I've kind of always thought that the mixed game and the women's game or single gender in general and mixed, it's not that one's better than the other. It's always just that they're just different games. And I really like how mm-hmm. the mixed game can kind of evolve given how many like women or female identifying players you might have on the field at a time or who's handling and who's cutting. I just really like how there's so much differentiation that can happen and change in the game that really led me to just really want to continue playing. And it's definitely a challenge because since I had been playing those single gender divisions my entire career at first, it's kind of learning a new part of the sport that I've already loved. It sounds like that's what you want to pursue. So that's awesome. Good on you for that because I know, uh, in mixed don't get the same uh coverage right so it's good to to have people want to to pursue that division and, and do that so last question here the first segment talked a lot about your throwing so and you you did give kind of some advice earlier about game film but i'm going to give you a chance to give some more advice of someone who wants to be an elite level thrower what can they do to get to that level yeah i mean i think the first thing first is just getting your fundamentals down like making sure you can throw those like 40 plus yard or even 20 plus yard flick and backhands at first. And then going from there, I feel like changing the angle of your throw and all release points and things like that have really changed my game. Definitely didn't happen overnight. Definitely didn't happen over even a course of a year, but just constantly thinking that you're not necessarily going to be the best at everything. So let's work as hard as you can and learn from every day something that I always like keep in the back of my head well even when I'm casually throwing is I'm going to be better than yesterday at throwing even if it feels worse like even a bad day at throwing will help you in the long run so I know there's a big thing on Instagram with the throw every day like challenge and things like that and obviously a lot of uh, players have gone into disc golf is that something that you've done at all to uh I don't know if uh, like I played disc golf and I feel like my ultimate throwing has suffered because of it so I'm not sure if that's something you've pursued at all I feel like I've played about as much disc golf as any other ultimate player, you know, like casually here and there. And I can only throw a backhand. I can somehow figure out how to throw it in places that need a forehand. So that's something, but I definitely, I don't, I don't love disc golf. I wish I loved it because it does look really fun and it looks like something that would challenge me a lot, but I still, I think knowing that Frisbee or ultimate Frisbee, is still a possibility like my body hasn't isn't ailing too much right now so I still really want to go back and play that and then maybe later in my life when my knees finally do give out or what have you uh I will I'll switch over to disc golf full-time and learn how to throw a flick because it's just atrocious right now I think it's a sidearm right sidearm or forehand there so because I've, I've called it flick and people have corrected me on the disc golf course so sounds like when you get to master's or grandmaster's age you're gonna move into disc golf so let's move to a uh, segment two here day-to-day life we talked off air about this but you're kind of a, a transient individual right now kind of moving around and doing some things so are you training for ultimate at all right now or, or what is your life or what's it been like pandemic 
you may have been training just uh, hoping that obviously Worlds was going to happen, but now that we know it's not, what have you been doing with Ultimate uh, lately? I've been throwing here and there, uh, doing... I've recently just kind of gotten into sprinting again. At the beginning of the pandemic, like last March, I was trying to really stay in shape, kind of go on some runs. I kind of took up bike riding, not necessarily anything too intense, but just going on like six mile bike rides to make it feel like I was doing something. And as much as I miss Frisbee, it definitely has been nice. My body hasn't felt better than it does right now. Yeah, with the potential of a club season, I kind of want to get back into more agility and more definitely endurance and things like that. But still at the moment, I'm kind of hanging out. I just bought a mountain bike, so I'm hoping to get on board with that and maybe not hurt myself too bad on that. (laughs) And yeah, we'll see what happens. I feel like I want to bank on a club season, but I also don't want to hold my breath too much because whatever happens, happens. I am very lucky enough to have gotten a vaccine already, so. There you go. Uh, in Canada, we uh, cannot say the same. So the vaccine rollout in different countries has uh, definitely been uh, noticeable. So yeah, that's really awesome that you want to continue to pursue uh, Ultimate in that way. And I want to take it back a little bit now with day to day life with your college career, because I've had other college athletes on and they talk about their college experience. So want to ask the same to you. What What was your college day to day like? And at some point, you're obviously an upperclassman who's a leader on the team. How are you going to balance all that? Being an engineer, tournaments, practices, the extra stuff, right? Throwing all that. It was crazy, honestly. Uh, Fever practices three times a week. And then we encourage people to at least work out outside. So I was probably working out like five days a week. And it was crazy. Like between classes, homework, exams, like any sort of social life, Frisbee. Uh, it was definitely a packed schedule. But honestly, when I look back on it, I'm just like, I don't even know how I did it really. Cause I would get home at like 10 o'clock from practice and I'd be exhausted and I'd be like, oh, dang, I need to go finish that homework or something. So it's definitely a, a trying time, I would say, but it was possible. And I feel like having people to go study with, aka the Frisbee team, And we kind of all are in the same boat of, hey, we need to go get this done so we can go to practice, kind of motivates you just surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded. Yeah, I feel like what you just said uh, is good motivation and and pretty much takes away any procrastination that you might have. Because if you procrastinate, then, you know, after practice at 11 p.m., you're going to have to stay up to do something. So you might not want to do that. And what about your tournament schedule? How packed was that? Are you playing a tournament once every two weeks kind of thing in like different parts of the country? Not quite. So we usually had four regular season tournaments um, in the spring and then the postseason. So yeah, towards the end of the postseason, it definitely got a little chaotic because you had sectionals two weeks later, we had regionals, and then you had finals somewhere in between there that you had to figure out how to study for and pass your classes. I mean, I feel like the regular season wasn't too bad. We never really encouraged people to skip classes or anything. Obviously, flights when you were flying to Seattle are cheaper if you fly out early Friday morning or Thursday night even. So our club sports facility was actually very nice and would write us these letters that would kind of explain to the teacher, professor, like, hey, Sadie has to go to this tournament. It's very important to her. It's part of her extracurricular, what have you. And you could show it to your professor. And they didn't have to really take it because it wasn't anything too official. But a lot of the times, at least my professors were very sympathetic towards it. And they were like, okay, let's schedule you for this exam or let's schedule your homework to be due earlier or what have you. So it didn't really give you an advantage, but definitely was able to reschedule things if you needed to, given your professor's discretion usually <laughs> yeah obviously it will depend on the professor but it sounds like uh the club sports program is very supportive there and i would say not every college even the top colleges will have that so because ultimate's not a varsity sport like if you're on the basketball team it'd be very different but it's it's cool to have that support so that's awesome and so sadie we're going to move into segment three talk about your favorite games well first you're going to have a choice. You either talk about your least favorite game or your favorite game first. So which one do you want to pick? 
let's do my favorite game. So I would say my favorite game was actually from that 2019 season. It was at Nationals. We were playing University of California, Santa Barbara. It was this like, it was just a pool play game. I believe we were the two seed and Santa Barbara was the sixth or seventh seed. And it was like that Nationals was both really hot and also very windy somehow. It was just like a really great game because it showed both great sportsmanship and also just very like intense. So that game went all the way to double game point. We had a tiny lead at first and UCSB like brought it back to tide. And then we were kind of just trading there. And I feel like the energy that we had both teams and just like around that field was just amazing. And then essentially what happened was we were down two and they had to score one more. It was like 14, 12. And we had to break up wind essentially to even have a chance at double game point. And we just, the whole line really just like dug its heels down, put their head down and just like grinded out these crazy points. And it was just, it was really memorable in my eyes because you really saw everything that I loved about the sport, like teammates working their butts off, like sportsmanship, and then just being really intense, competitive and having a really good, friendly game with a really great team. Do you think that game was a big catalyst for the rest of the tournament for you just because you were able to see what your team could be capable of at that stage um, early on in pool play there? So I think that was our second game of Nationals. And I mean, Nationals, again, like I said, was just crazy windy, crazy hot. So you didn't really know what element was going to come at you first. And with it being really windy, it was just mentally exhausting too. So we didn't really know what to expect even that first day. So our first game, we definitely were jittery. Um, And then going into that game, we knew how much it mattered because basically who would ever win that game has a really good shot at winning the pool. So there was a lot of pressure in that regard too. So I think after winning that game, we just kind of felt this giant sigh of relief also just being like, wow, crazy game. Jaws were clenched the entire time. Like let's grind out the rest of this tournament. (laughs) Yeah. Third place, pretty good finish there. And so now Sadie, some perhaps bad news or sad news. You're going to have to talk about your least favorite game now. Oh man. I mean, I'd say my least favorite game that like comes to mind at first is, is actually that same season, 2019, we were playing this really tough, tough team at Queen City. And it, it wasn't too windy, like nothing close to like nationals, but like something was just like not going right for our team. I would say like, it was just silly things that teammates were doing. I was doing. And then we were down, I think six, one at one point, And it was just like, Whoa, what's happening. It's kind of like a kick in the mouth. <laughs> and we just like, couldn't really figure it out per se. And unfortunately we're like, we did lose that game, but I think, I would only say it's my least favorite game because it was so hard to pinpoint what we needed to fix in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like points were so long that you didn't even have time to necessarily make any in-game adjustments. And I think that game only was like a score of nine to eight. So it was just like mentally taxing to figure out, okay, what actually is going on? Would you say that it's more mentally taxing because you're a thrower that's relied upon for your team in those windy games? Like, because I'm sure turnovers are just a plenty, and so that might become exhausting for you just from a mental perspective, right, as a handler. I mean, I guess personally, yeah, it definitely is taxing, but also I want to, like, put the team first and try to figure out what's, like, best for the team in that moment. And kind of like what I was saying before, like, it's not even the throws that were necessarily not doing great. It was just, like, the whole game was just was one mess, I felt like. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, Sadie, we're going to move to segment four here. We're going to start with some rapid-fire questions that are ultimate-based. We've talked a lot about throwing, so we're going to start off with some throwing questions. Your favorite throw, your flick or backhand? Flick. Hammer or scuba? Hammer. Would you rather drop a pole or drop a catch in the end zone? Catch in the end zone. What about five silver medals at Nationals or one gold medal, but you never make the final before or after that? Probably a gold medal. I don't know. I feel like gold medals are such a team effort and it's just something that you like cherish forever. I mean, I'm, I've never actually, yeah, I've never really experienced a silver medal. Um, and I'm sure they're just as team oriented, but I feel like having just like a gold medal shows like achievement in one way or another. 
Yeah, you can talk about it with uh, your teammates when you're, you know, 70 years old later on in life. So what about should Ultimate be renamed to something else? Should uh, Ultimate Frisbee or Ultimate, well, it's actually just Ultimate, change its name to something else? Uh, I think some, like, something, I was listening to an Ultimate World podcast and they called it, like, Disc 7 or something like that. (laughs) Yo, Disc 7s. I give a shout out for that because people don't like it, but I actually don't mind the name at all. No, no. I didn't think it was that bad. And it definitely would like, you probably get about the same response when you say like ultimate to people rather than saying disc seven, but what have you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and then four on four is really big here in Canada. So you could call it disc fours, right? So uh, I'm, I'm on that train for sure. What about should ultimate have referees? Honestly, I'm I'm all for I kind of like the PUL system where the observer is there but they don't necessarily make the call. So it kind of gives it to you and you have to make a call within like I think 30 seconds or something. Only because I feel like every time I've gone to an observer to like see what happened in the play, they're always like, I don't know what happened and I'm like, okay, well, that was your one job. But yeah, and it just like I like having the self-officiation cuz it kind of gives everyone some sort of accountability to be like okay let's not try to do what's necessarily best for the team let's try to figure out okay like did this happen let's talk it out and then again if it doesn't if it isn't talked out or resolved in like again 30 seconds then it's just i think in pol it's contested so it goes back okay cool yeah that's a fair uh, point there and as someone who's been on the national team should ultimate continue to pursue its place in the olympic games I go back and forth on this. I I don't necess- I think I usually lean more towards no only because I think part of the allure of frisbee is like again the community and the amount of people that you might be able to find and like the type of person I feel like ultimate draws is very different and I feel like with the publicity of like olympics and things like that a important part of ultimate would go away in a way because I feel like in when you're in that spotlight it attracts tons of people which is great but it doesn't necessarily attract the people that makes the sport what it is or have the same values and and sort of that community aspect so i get that good answer there and so now sadie a couple more questions for you non-sports related at least for the first two so you can share a meal with three people in the course of human history they can be living or brought back from the dead so you got to pick who you're going to have this epic uh, meal with one person I definitely like to have dinner with is I'd say Ellen DeGeneres only because I think it's, I think she's really funny. It'd be really, it'd be a hoot of a dinner. Yeah. So, I mean, I like, I like where you're going with this instead of three, you're just going to go with one and pick the brain of that person and just enjoy their presence. So definitely like that. And now, um, as you don't have a permanent backyard because you're, uh, moving around the country there, this one, you're going to have to pretend that you pick your favorite city. I don't know. Uh, if it's somewhere in New Jersey, if it's somewhere in Colorado, or or maybe it's Columbus, but you're hosting a concert there, okay? Sadie's concert, and you're allowed to book any band or artist in the world. And once again, I'm going to make you pick three here. The band or artist could be uh, dead, or or the band's broken up, and you have to pick the order in which they play as well. So who's opening? Who's in the middle? Who's closing out this concert? I'd say opener is Vampire Weekend. Probably middle would be Vance Joy, and then the closer would be the Beatles. Okay, sweet. The Beatles, do you have a favorite song? You know, Hey Jude or Let It Be or something like that. What's your favorite song from the Beatles? Probably, honestly, I like I like the classics, so I really like Yellow Submarine just because it's like goofy and just fun. But yeah, I mean, they're just classics, and I kind of grew up listening to them. So. And last question here can't pick ultimate as the answer for this question so you're gonna get all the talent in the world so you have to pick another sport to play perhaps it's a pro sport where you're playing for a specific team and you would have to pick that or maybe it's an individual sport like playing tennis at wimbledon and the u.s open so what would you pick if uh, ultimate wasn't a choice there ultimate wasn't a choice and you could be as tall as you want to i guess that I, i should preface that as well you could be as tall as you want or as short as you want if you want to be a gymnast maybe you want to be shorter i don't know or you could be taller if you want to be basketball. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I mean, I think I think it'd be really cool to be a really good basketball player. Like, I've been watching a lot of WNBA and, like, the college basketball March Madnesses, and it's just been, like, insane, the athletic feats they do. 
and not even just because they're tall, just because they like know how to manipulate the ball and stuff. So I think it's just really inspiring and cool. So I'd say basketball. You got to pick a team. Maybe it's a U.S. national team. I don't know. Maybe it's a, a top WNBA team or a college team. Maybe you want to represent Ohio State and get them into the tournament or something like that. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would play. I feel like it'd definitely be a college team. And I mean, you got to go for like gold there. So like, I mean, that Arizona college team was awesome. So just seeing them, I'd love to play for them. And college just looks so much fun because it's like winner takes all you playing all these games. And it just like, it just looks like the most fun. Yeah, I, I watched that uh, Arizona UConn game and that was a big game there. Paige Becker's player of the year losing. That's a big deal. She's super high fire. As the kids say, uh, high school mixtapes came into college as the number one recruit. And Arizona took them down, so that was good. And we're recording this after the national championship game where Arizona lost, unfortunately. Crazy finish, too, though, to that game. So yeah. I thought it was going in, the buzzer beater. I mean, the day before, the buzzer beater happened on the men's side. So, I mean, anything's possible on March Madness. So, Sadie, that actually ends our episode for today. Thank you so much for coming on. Do appreciate that. And if people want to learn more about you, uh, do you have any social media that they can follow? And then also, why don't you plug some games as well that they can check out that feature uh, you in action there? Yeah, sure. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are both the same. It's Sadie Jazerski. And then I say, if you want to watch some games, the Columbus Pride Columbia game is a really great game to watch for the PUL. And then any of the college games from 2019, yeah, I would say those are probably your best bet. All right, so I'll uh, make sure to plug that as well in the show description, all that information that Sadie just shared. And you have a Callahan video, I assume, as well, right? So I can I can plug that in. You can check out some Sadie Jazerski highlights as well. So you can do all that. Sadie, appreciate you coming on the podcast virtually, of course. Thanks for your time. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Antoine Davis, a player who is going to be suiting up for the Atlanta Hustle of the American Ultimate Disc League and Atlanta Chain Lightning in 2021. Prior to moving to the Atlanta area, Antoine played for San Francisco Revolver, where he was named Ulti World's 2018 Club Male Breakout Player of the Year. And he has played for three different American Ultimate Disc League teams and was named an AUDL All-Star in 2019. In this interview, we learn about Antoine's journey to elite-level club ultimate with Revolver, and he gives great advice for growing not only in ultimate, but in life. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can check out some commenting highlights on YouTube at Juan and only sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.